So today our sermon is going to be on how deep and how wide is the Father's love for his children. And I am going to do absolutely no justice in trying to explain this to you. I'm going to start off right off the bat by telling you that. I'm going to do my best, but it's not going to even, it's not going to even come close. Because we all know that God's love for us is infinite. It is uh, something that we cannot comprehend. And because we can't comprehend it, I certainly am not going to be able to explain it to you, but I know what the Bible says about it, and I'm going to try and do some justice in telling you what I think the Bible says. I want to start off by uh, telling you a joke. There's a Minneapolis couple. They decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of the hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday while his wife planned to fly down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel and there was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter of her email address and sent the email without realizing his error. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral, unfortunately. He was a Baptist minister who was called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow decided to check her email, expecting condolence messages from family and friends. But after reading her first email, she screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and, the son, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, I've just arrived today. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. Since I've just arrived, I thought I would send you an email. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as eventful, uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. Thought we could all use a little laugh this morning before we get started. <laughs> it's a beautiful part of life, and I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed us with a sense of humor. Otherwise, that probably wouldn't have gone over very well. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, so I'm glad that you, you, you did as well. So when I look throughout the room today, I see a lot of faces, a lot of people who I would have to imagine. As I mentioned last week uh, about my, kind of my view of what love looked like to me growing up. I told you that it was a very distorted view. And um, when I look at the faces in this room, I know that we all have a different experience in terms of what love looks like and how you experienced it growing up and what love looks like for you today and how you experience it. We use the, I believe, um, even as believers, especially as a non-believer, I, I think we use the word love pretty loosely. Um, we use it in a way that one might could even say kind of dulls the meaning of it. Um, it's a word that you know, has a very deep meaning. It should be treated with respect and used in moments when you really want to let someone know how you feel. I can remember being terrified to tell my wife, Melissa, for the very first time that I loved her because I didn't know really what she'd think. I wasn't sure if it was too soon. I wasn't really sure if she was going to reciprocate that love back to me. I wasn't really going to... I wasn't really sure she was going to think I was crazy because we were probably about 
six months into dating, and I thought, I think I love this woman, and it's only been six months, and if I tell her that, she might run away, so I don't know if I want to do that. But, um, you know, it, it was just one of those moments where I knew. I would prayed enough to know that, that she was the right one for me. And um, I'm, I'm sure you can tell, and in the end, it all worked out, obviously. We're married with two beautiful boys, so me telling her I loved her was not a bad thing. Um, but I'm not sure if many of you can remember the first time that you told somebody you loved them. And if you can trace back to that moment, like what it looked like for you or what it meant to you and what it meant to the person that you said it to. Maybe you're sitting next to that person. Maybe you're not. But for me, um, I remember the first time I told somebody I loved them after I became a believer. And I remember telling, when I told my wife Melissa I loved her, I, I knew that I meant it in a way that was different and unique and special. I knew that when I said it, I knew that it carried weight and value. I knew that when I said it, that I understood what the love of Christ looked like to a certain degree, so that I knew she understood that I meant it. It wasn't like I was just blurting something out. And so the timing was right, and we understood, both of us, that we mutually loved each other in Christ, and that we were made to move forward together as a couple, whom we firmly believed that the Lord had joined together. I don't know that I would have been able to tell Melissa that I loved her and truly understand what I was saying apart from having a relationship with Jesus. I firmly believe that I would not have been able to tell her that, and I also know for a fact that we wouldn't be together if it wasn't for Jesus. As I mentioned last week, my view of love growing up was distorted. It was way off base, but my house, we were shown, the way we were shown love, as I said, or I suppose a better term, the way we observe love being displayed um, it didn't exactly come out in any other form or fashion in my home because everyone was all about themselves and it was all about like money. Everybody was just about money and themselves and it was just selfish. And so that's, that's how I viewed it. So the giving, like I said last week, the giving of money and buying people things was viewed as an expression of love in the Draxinger household. And that is not, that is not a view of love. Um, I mean, it can be a form of love if you love somebody and you can buy them something and that can be a gift to them, but that isn't the exact definition of love, obviously. It is, in fact, true that there are several different types of loves, but before we get started, I thought it might be helpful to see what Mr. Webster has to say, Webster's Dictionary, about what love says in the dictionary and how it's defined. And it's defined as an intense feeling of deep affection. An intense feeling of deep affection. Seems to be a pretty accurate description in my, in, in my opinion. So now that we see what the word love means, let's briefly go over the different types of love that exist in the world today. And then we'll get into the type of love that we'll be discussing in terms of the way that God loves us. And there are many forms of love that are mentioned in the Bible, but today we're going to be discussing a specific type of love. So when we look up here on our slides, uh, the first type of love that we see is called eros. If you want to write these down, you can, but not totally necessary. Um, well, we have agape up here, I'm sorry. Um, we can go with agape. So agape is a universal love such as love for strangers, nature, or God. The second type of love that we have is ludus. It's a playful or uncommitted love. 
a playful or uncommitted love. Third type of love that we see is pragma, a kind of practical love founded on reason or duty and one and only on long-term interest. I think I made a typo there. Our fourth type of love that we see up here is philosia or fellatia, a self-love which can be healthy or unhealthy. Obviously, if you have just a strict love for yourself and you do not have love for anybody else, that's not healthy. Uh, the next type of love that we see up here is eros. It's a passionate or intimate love, the modern construct of a romantic love. This is the kind of love that you would see in a marriage. Eros, a passionate or intimate love. And our next type of love that we see up here is philia, a love that is based on friendship or shared goodwill. And la or, um, second to lastly, storage. It's a familial love, a kind of love shared between parents and their children, a love born out of dependence. Um, so that's a love that is shared between parents and their children. Sometimes I wonder if my children uh, exhibit that love uh, in a way that uh, is perfect, but that's okay. Um, our next type of love, and um, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to show up, but if it doesn't, lastly, it was the agape. Um, and this is the type of love that I'm going to be talking about today with Christ and God. Uh, and agape love is a universal love, such as a love for strangers, nature, or God. Unlike storage, it does not depend on affiliation or familiarity. Um, also called charity by Christian thinkers, agape can be said to encompass the modern concept of altruism. It's defined as an unselfish concern for the welfare of others. And that is God's concern for us. That is God's love for us, agape love, a universal love for nature or God. And so now that we've looked at the seven different types of love, we're going to get into um, our passage for the day. And um, I want to review and examine our text today and discuss the type of love that is in reference to this text. So today, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask that you would open them to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. If you don't have them, I will read it for you. It says this. This is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, now listen to this, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And it appears that Paul cannot even get out in that statement really what he, what he wants to say. He's using dimensions, like in kind of an architectural way, to, to ex express the love of God. He can't even get it out in a way that they would understand. So I chose this text because I don't really believe that there's a greater summary of God's love than what we see here. It's almost as, Paul, it's almost as if Paul is trying to explain something that's too vast for words. So we're going to take a closer look at our text today to see what God is trying to say to us through these incredible verses. I want to call our focus on a love that comes 
to people like us who are flawed and broken. We're bent, we're tattered, we're just really, really, really messed up when we come to God, and his intention is to fix us and mold us into the image of Christ. And those of us uh, that the world has cast away and left for dead, God wants those type of people because he can use those type of people better than anybody else in this world. Do you know why he can use those type of people better than anybody else in this world? Because people like me and people like you, I'll reference myself, I've come from a very, very broken background. I've come from a background that is so just blotted with sin and transgression that there's no other way to explain me being on this stage and being converted and having a love for God and him having a love for me other than his grace and mercy in my life. I, there's, there's nothing I could say to you today that would get you to believe that I'm the one that's responsible for why I am where I am today. Nothing. Not from where I came from. And if I did, if I stood up here and trying to tell you that I'm the one that's responsible for being who I am today, I would expect that you would look at me and call me a liar. Because, yes, people do change, and they become different, but it's just a different kind of change. And usually when people like myself, come out of an addiction, they usually either revert to another addiction or they're, they're living maybe a life that maybe they're not committing sin. But as we talked about last week, um, what they're doing isn't exactly uh, their good works. They're, like I told you, they're filthy rags, and they're seen as God by fil as filthy rags, and they're not going to be chalked up as being done for the glory of God. And because of that, they, they account for nothing. And so it's important that we remember that. And so um, I want to call our focus on uh, like this love. Like I said, I want to shine a light on an amazing love of God for us to the best of my ability this morning. And this morning I want to unwrap this gift with you and ask you to ponder its meaning in your life until by the Holy Spirit's help that my hope today is that it moves from your head to your heart in a way that it sits there and that you can really, really get a vast understanding of how deep and how wide his love for you is better than you did have before you walked in this building this morning. So Paul's a prisoner of the state when he wrote this amazing letter to the Ephesians. And for you and me, uh, he wrote this letter and to the Ephesians. Uh, and he's chained because he has simply refuses to be quiet about Jesus Christ. He's paying for his allegiance to our Lord, but he does not complain or caution what he writes. There isn't a trace of self-pity or regret. But don't miss the massive unchangeable fact that you were thoroughly loved by God. Verse 17 in Ephesians tells us that as a believer in Christ, you have been rooted and firmly established in love. There are three words that need to touch our minds and souls this morning. And the first word is rooted, which pictures you as a great tree whose roots have penetrated deep into the rich soil of God's love. Get an imagery there. To be rooted is something, it's something that means you're drawing nourishment from it. Your life, your food, your water. It's that which sustains you, sustains you and causes you to flourish. On my way to work every morning, there's a tree I see on my way home. And you can tell that it's noticeably, it's noticeably been knocked over, whether it was a hurricane or a storm. But it's literally fallen over on its side. 
But I can't help but notice it. Every time I drive past it, I notice this tree, and it's, it's just like a beautiful picture to me. And let me explain why. Its roots are pulled out of the ground, and they're exposed. Half the roots are exposed, but the tree is still, is still there, right? And even though one would assume because it fell over and it wasn't completely rooted into the ground that it would have died and just been chopped up for firewood, or the owner would have just said, let me get rid of this tree, doesn't look good. But what's really odd is the tree is completely alive. Every single branch on that tree is alive. And even though majority of its roots are half out, half of them are deeply ingrained into the soil, just so we who are by his, by his faith and, and the Son of God are rooted in love, absorbing our life from the love of God, we are not dead rootless trees tossed about by whatever prevailing wind comes along. And even if we were to fall, we must always remember, just like this tree, that we're not finished, nor will we just stop trying to fight and live and thrive in our walk as Christians. We are connected to the source of life and strength that gives life and nourishment to our souls because we are rooted in Jesus Christ. And even though that tree fell, it still had roots in the ground that kept it alive. And when you look at it, as I said, you can tell that it's still living. It's one of those trees that you could, I mean, if you tried to walk under it, you'd smack your head. But again, it just fascinates me that it still had the ability to continue living even though it, it, it toppled over. And for us as believers, because of the love of God, even when we fall, when we understand that depth and the greatness of God's love for us, it should allow us to, to pick ourselves up and to continue moving forward and to continue doing what we need to do as believers. Now I want to add a second verb in uh, that passage in Ephesians, you are also firmly, firmly, so the first one was rooted, the second one is firmly, established in love, says Paul, and then this time he uses a word from architecture. In Christ, you are like a building that has its pilings driven deep down into the bedrock below. You stand on a rock, you are fixed to an unbreakable love. When you combine these two verbs, they convey a picture of endurance, of nourishment, of strength, for the storms of life and solid perseverance, as I told you. We are not fixed on the shifting sands of lesser foundations. We rest upon a steady love that surrounds us, making us durable and consistent. Our roots draw up the love God has for us all the time. We have been planted here by the Holy Spirit, and we have been established by the Master Builder. Because of this, we are stronger than the storms that beat upon our lives. And because God loves us, we are not consumers, but givers. We are not fearful, but we are courageous. Remember that. When we look at our next slide, we're going to talk about love's true meaning. Love's true meaning. So let's add the most important word in this text. When we look at the text in Ephesians, the most important word of all is the word love. So we've looked at rooted firmly in the word love. What exactly is this that we are rooted and grounded in? The word used here is agape, as I told you. One of the seven types of love that we referenced earlier in the message, which is the New Testament word for God's love for us and for our love for one another. It's translated in our Bibles by, common, by the common English word love, but that's just not going to cut it. It is known as the highest form of love. The word agape in the Bible is known as the highest form of love. God will give you nothing but the best of who he is and what he is. Remember that. He's not going to give you his leftovers. He's not going to give you, you know, uh, you know a type of love that isn't the, the highest form. He's going to give you 
everything that he is, everything that he has. And again, as I mentioned last week, this love that he wants to share with us, even though we experience it here on this earth, we truly don't get to understand the depth of that love until we get into glory. And when we get into glory and we experience that love, I can't imagine what it's like. I cannot even fathom what that love must be like. But it's what keeps us all running the race. It's what keeps us pushing forward every day. Because we know that when we reach glory, that we are going to be made whole. We are going to be made perfect. We're going to get new bodies, new heavenly bodies. And we are going to get to experience something that we've never experienced on this earth. We are imperfect people, and that's okay. But we are driving and striving to experience that agape love that God has for us. Um, a good verse to use in trying to explain this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It always involves giving away your life in some form, this agape love. And God gave Jesus so that he could get his people, so that he could allow us to enter into heaven. And I remember when I had my son... A new type of love developed inside of me. How many people in this room have children? You can put your hand up. Most of us. When you had children, something happened inside of you that, that wasn't there before. Right? Everybody, everybody agree with that? I remember looking at my kid. Don't take this the wrong way. Please, don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> I remember looking at my child and remember thinking, if anybody ever tries to hurt this child, I will kill them. I mean, that's really what I felt. I would protect that, I will protect this child at any cost. And then the, the second thought that came over my mind was that I would die for this child. I didn't care. In that moment, I knew that whatever I had to do to keep this child safe and to keep him thriving in this life, to keep him alive, for both of my children, the same exact experience, I remember looking at them thinking, this is a new type of love that I've never had before. And then I remember thinking, it was so, it was so strange, because it was like all in an instant. And then I remember thinking, I've only known this child for, you know, five minutes. And the feeling that I had for that child was so indescribable. And then I remember thinking about Jesus. And I remember thinking about how long he had spent with God for all of eternity. And I remember thinking about his willingness to give his only son so that he could, so that he could be with us. And when you put those two side by side, they, they pale in comparison. And when you want to talk about love, that, that's the type of love that we, when I say that we can't comprehend and we can't understand, we don't have any clue. The only real picture we get is when Jesus is in the garden and he's asking the Father if there's any other way. Is there any other way, you know, would you take this cup from me? And it says that he's literally sweating blood. 
He's in so much agony and pain knowing that he's going to be separated from his father who he's never, ever been apart from. Ever. And they were in perfect harmony, which makes it even crazier. And so today, you know, again, I'm not going to be able to give you, <laughs> not going to be able to give you a, a perfect description, but when you put those two things side by side, good grief, it is, it's, a lot to, it's a lot to process, isn't it? It's a lot to process when you think about that type of love. So you can see this isn't a sentimental, emotional, physical buzz we often associate with love. It goes far beyond vague expressions of love we use when we speak of loving where we live or loving uh, the hamburger our favorite restaurant makes. It's a love that finds its ultimate definition in the cross of Jesus Christ, where the innocent Son of God takes the place of the guilty of every single person in this room. That is what love is. When you listen to Romans 3, 23 to 25, which you can see up here, it says, For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. In his love, he passed over the sins previously committed by giving his son. What that means is that God presented Jesus, whose death received by faith, absorbs God's wrath for you so that you are made right with God. And it was all a gift, a gratuitous and free act of charity for we, the lost. Love consists in this, writes John, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the mercy seat, atoning sacrifice that which removed God's wrath from us for our sins. That's in the book of 1 John 4.10. If you ever want to read a book on love, go to the book of 1 John. The, the word love in that book is mentioned 44 times. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It talks about love over and over and over and over again. So when Paul says we are rooted like a great oak in love, grounded like a well-founded building on love, let the truth of that and what that means strike you. This is perhaps the most basic spiritual fact about life as a believer in Christ this morning. You are loved by God. This is the air you breathe, your food and your drink, and it's the ground beneath your feet. The love of God is the basis of everything you stand for and everything that you are in Christianity. If there is no love from God to you, there is no sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and Christianity doesn't exist. And if we talked about if Christianity doesn't, doesn't exist, and Christ is in fact not raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied amongst people. And guess what? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then after we die, that's it, right? There's no spending eternity with the Father. But we know differently. We know differently because we know the love that God has for us. We've experienced it. We felt it. We know it. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Again, talking about giving. Agape is a decision love. That is, it is a love that's fixed. It's not in fleeting emotions or in the passion of the moment, but in the will. 
This is a love that arises from a choice that the lover alone can make and will make. The cause that beckons forth agape is never found in the object of love, which is why the translators of the Bible in past generations did not use the word love to capture the meaning of agape. Instead, they used the word as charity. We don't use that word much these days except to refer to those whose life and circumstances have made them indignant. Or they say, I don't want charity. We might say when receiving uh, what we did not earn and cannot pay back. That's what we would say. You know, I don't want charity. And yet, when it comes to the love of God, every single one of us in this room, guess what? We're all charity cases. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're a charity case. Because you do not deserve the love of God. None of us do. And so, C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors, even though he's one of my favorite authors, his books are really, really hard to read, and sometimes you have to read them about nine times to get them. Um, But he picked up on this thought. He says, we're all receiving charity, he wrote. There's something in all of us that cannot be naturally loved. You might as well ask people to like the taste of rotten bread or the sound of a mechanical drill as to expect that God would find something lovable in us. To be loved by God is an act of charity towards beggars and rebels. It is a pure gift given to the undeserving and the unlovable. We don't provoke, trick, convince, earn, or win agape from God. Look at how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, the most important fact that can be said of you, that, I'm sorry, the most important fact that can be said of you, a fact that changes everything, your inner being is always at flood tide with rush of God's love for you. It surrounds and saturates you all the time. There's nothing you can ever do to earn it, so there's nothing you can ever do that will stop it, and there's nothing you can ever do to lose it. Once you become a believer, God's love for you is permanent. It is never going anywhere. The Bible says that you're sealed till the day of redemption, which means until the day that you die, God is going to love you unconditionally no matter what you do, and you have to trust and believe that. And the moment that you stop believing that and trusting that is the moment that you start believing that maybe God isn't who he says he is, and maybe he doesn't really love me the way he says he does, and then you start making poor decisions. We're getting close to wrapping up here, so those of you that are about to fall asleep, please stay awake. (laughs) Uh, The next point I want to make here. So how do we go from head to heart, experiencing the fact in the soul, the truth in your soul? This fact alone will bless you profoundly, even if all it is to you is a fact. But Paul can tell you from experience, a profound shift takes place in your life when you move beyond the acknowledgement that God loves you to the feeling of your Father's joy over you. So in verses 18 through 20, he asked the Father to give you what it takes to make that jump from your head to your heart. Paul bows his knees before the Father in prayer that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The next slide. What are the conditions? There are three conditions to moving from head to heart. The first condition, you must want this. You must want the love of God. You must want to experience it. You must want to live in it. You must want to not only live in it, you must want to give it out, right? You must want to allow people to see 
what is the love of God really like? Verse 18 opens by asking that you may be able to comprehend. The word for able describes focused effort that in fact God goes out of his way to let you know several important things about his love. For example, he wants you to know that he has loved you for a very long time. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 tells us that he has set his heart upon adopting you into his family before the world even began. That's, that's a pretty deep expression of love. God the Father chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that he favored us within the beloved. He wants you to grasp that his love for you is the starting place of your Christian life. Your Christian life. 1 John 4.19 tells us that in, it's just black and white. We love him because he first loved us. You don't have the ability to even love God without his love for you. If he does not love you, you don't under, as I told you, you don't even understand what love means, so therefore you can't reciprocate that love. So he has to give, not only does he have to give you the faith to believe in him, which, you know, in turn gives you the ability to become a believer, he has to love you so that you have the ability to love him back because you, in turn, don't really understand what the word love means. And I believe that unless you are a Christian and you have a relation, uh, relationship with Christ, excuse me, that you really don't understand what love is. I may be a little bit off base and people might be offended by that, but that's just my personal opinion. So he wants you to grasp that his love for you is the starting place of your Christian life, as I said. He wants you to recognize that his love has worked into every crevice of your being. Romans 5.5 5. God God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, as I mentioned last week. He also wants you to know that nothing can ever cause his love for, for you to cease. Romans 8. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created in this world will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that says? Just what I told you, that there's nothing you can do and there's nothing that can happen or that will ever happen that will ever separate you from God's love that he has for you. And you, I hope that you take that with you and you carry that with, uh, on your way out the door, you carry that with you and know that you are never, ever, ever going to stop being loved by your creator. And I pray to God that you never stop loving him. And so in closing, I'm going to um, wrap this up here. And so it, God's love does not let up until the task is accomplished, which is until you reach glory. In other words, this is not for casual Christians. If you're into a quick-fix Christianity with an instant discipleship, you're going to give up too early. This calls for study and prayer, for lingering meditation and communi communion with God's Spirit and fasting. You must be committed and willing. So you have to want this. And number two, you must never stop pursuing the depth and wideness of God's love for you. You must never stop pursuing the depth and wideness of God's love for you. As just as we must never stop reading the word or praying, I believe it's equally important for us to be constantly asking God to show us the love he has for us. Whether that's through the pages of scripture or through other believers, it's important that we remember that this is a 
a love that is never-ending and can never be fully understood by us. In turn, it should give us a deep drive and willingness to pursue Jesus harder and harder each day so that we can maximize this great love he has for us. When we feel loved, it changes everything about the way we carry ourselves and go about our business in this life. And third, and uh, lastly, you must hang out with fellow believers who share the same love. The only way to comprehend the nuances of God's love for you is with all the saints. You cannot lay hold of God's deep affection for you, his self-sacrificing tenderness, his passion and sympathy, or how he goes out of his way to express kindness to you. So if you're a loner, you're not only weakening yourself, but you're robbing other believers of your part in learning the heart of God for his own. And you're missing out on that as well. You, you are really uh, not able to experience, you know, other people's understanding of what God's love is. And so, in turn, you're not really getting as much as you could, is I suppose what I'm trying to say. You may have a pretty, you know, clear understanding of what the Bible says. You may feel loved. But other believers who may be more mature, that's, that's the process, you know, of having a accountability partner or having some people in your life that you, you know, a more mature believer. You connect with more mature believers because they have been loved by God uh, longer than you have, and they may have experienced, you know, different, I, I wouldn't say different types of love, but they may have more experience in ways that they have been loved by God that they can share with you. And so the last thing, so we talked about the conditions of God's love, so now let's talk about the last thing here, the mystery of God's love. And it is a mystery, because we don't fully understand it. So what Paul says next is an attempt to gather into words something profoundly personal. When a man whose characteristic characteristically exacting in his language, suddenly it gets vague. We know that we are dealing with something too deep for words. Verse 19 takes us to the edge when it speaks of knowing. The, it says here that knowing the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. Do you ever try to do that? Do you ever try to talk about something that goes beyond words that you just can't explain? So here is the professor of theology, the Apostle Paul, who studied deeply the implications of the cross where Jesus became a substitute he looked into the discrepancies and struggled with understanding how a sinner could ever be loved by a holy God. He plumbed the depths of how much it cost God to express his heart for us in giving up his only son. He marveled at how long this love would last. Every discovery shook Paul's soul. The best Paul could muster up was to talk about dimensions. I told you, the breadth, the length, the height, and depth of God's love for him. He couldn't get it out. He couldn't, he couldn't explain it. And this is what the human heart craves. We all want to be swept away to be loved in spite of ourselves, to be fully accepted, to be cherished. To, we want to matter to someone. We want to be caught in someone's arms when we fall. We want to, someone to watch over us. We want to experience a consummate love, to be enraptured in the lavish love of someone who knows the truth about us but will not turn us away, and that is God. This is ultimately, ultimately what I have meant when I said that I believe that the world is looking for this love, but they are looking in all the wrong places. Most people, I'm gonna, and, and we're going to wrap up, this is, I promise, this is it. <laughs> Most people are looking for the love of God, and they don't even know it. There are people with holes in their heart, and they don't know how to fill them. Each time I try to use a drug, a relationship, a new possession, so on and so forth, each time we try to fill these things in our hearts, they're all vain attempts to fill a giant void that only our Heavenly Father can fill. He fills this void with his love. I remember when I became a believer, I was sitting with this gentleman that shared the gospel with me, and he mentioned these words. From the moment you were born, you were born into sin, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And it's the same thing for all of us. 
You're instantly walking away from God from the very first breath you take. However, at any given moment, even though you're walking away, you can turn around and God will embrace you with a love that you have never known. For some reason, this statement was it for me. This love was it for me. This was the one thing that I had been looking for my entire life. And in that very moment, the words that came out of Bruce Carter's mouth, they were believable to me. I believed them and I trusted them. And I knew that what he was saying was true. It was the Spirit of God moving in my heart, giving me the ability to believe that there was something more beyond myself. There was something more than beyond the world and every selfish desire that I had ever pursued up until that point. It was the love of God that was going to save me. Better yet, it was the understanding that he truly did love me that allowed me to become vulnerable enough to give him the room to work in my heart and my life. Without that love, I don't stand here today. We all need to be loved, and those human beings... Loving others is something, something we struggle with and we fail miserably at. However, God, our creator, he gets it. He knows exactly what each of us need and when we need it. And so the Bible describes love, and when we see it, we see it in ways in which God is the essence of love. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, and love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's in 1 Corinthians. This is God's description of love. And because God is love, this is what he is like. So if you're here today and you're asking yourself, what does that mean? And does God really love me? Or you're asking the question, how much does he really love me? And can I trust him? He loves you infinitely. Love is an attribute of God. Love is a core aspect of God's character. All of, God, all of his attributes, they're in perfect harmony. Everything God does is loving, just as everything he does is just and right. God is the perfect example of true love. Amazingly, God has given those who receive his son Jesus as their personal savior the ability to love as he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we get a glimpse of the amount of God's love for us here on this earth. Until we reach glory, then and only then will we truly understand the depth of his love. What a moment that will be for all of us to fully experience the love our creator has for us. Until then, let us do our best to love God, as our motto says in this church, to love God, love each other, and love those who do not know God yet. And even though, as I told you, there is so much still to be known about the love that God has for us, it is such a beautiful thing to know that we have a God that has an infinite love for us, which means that we should never, ever stop pursuing him. Ever. Because he has things for us that we don't even know. He has a love for us that we don't even know. And you have love to give out that you don't even know. And without that love, I personally believe that you are not going to fully maximize your calling in this life. And there are people that are going to suffer. There are people that are going to miss out on the love of God if we choose to not pursue God in the way that he needs to be pursued. And so I'm going to pray for us. I hope that you have just a little bit of a deeper understanding of the love that God has for you. And not only the love that God has for you, but the reciprocation in terms of what that love should look like in terms of us pursuing and giving that love back not only to God but to our fellow believers and those who don't know God 
So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much. So, so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for your love for us that you gave your one and only son who you spent all of eternity with. And we have children that we've spent very, very short amount of times with, and we love them in ways that we can't even describe, so we don't even have a glimpse of what that love looked like and the love that you have for Jesus and the love that you have for us. But I pray this morning, Father, that we would have a deeper understanding, that on a day-to-day basis that we would grow deeper and deeper in that love. And Father, my prayer today is that as a congregation, that we would love others that don't know you. We would love the unlovable, as the world would say, that we would not pass by people who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear about the love that you have for them. Just as I needed to hear in my weakest moment, I needed to hear how much you loved me in order to be able to come to you to become the man I am today. And so as we leave this room today, I pray, Father, that we would reflect on your love and throughout the week that it would be something that would just resonate within our hearts and within our souls and that we would take it from our head, even though we might have a clear understanding in our head and we might know that you say that you love us, but let it be a love that we live out on a daily basis, Father. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this congregation. And thank you so much for loving us in a way that we could never, ever love ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.